talk about harassment and how they underestimate the jokes about women and being uh, an attractive man or being cool if you do this to girls or if you can call someone or you can just get whatever you want to if you look nice, like all this kind of stuff. It affects how men perceive women and how they perceive themselves as well. Hey y'all, I'm Brian Pagan and this is episode 12 of Mindfolk, Human Creativity and Mindful Innovation in a Podcast. Today we're joined by my dear friend Reda Allah Hamdi. We met at a Conscious Tech Summit almost two years ago and she's been a source of wisdom and inspiration for me ever since. This episode is about how love can be a powerful catalyst for cultural change. Reda will share some examples from her work in the humanitarian sector, but we'll begin with a story of culture building on a smaller scale. Enjoy. What for Soul is, is a gathering that I've been doing since August 2017. It's a safe space where people could come together and we choose one topic that we would love to learn more about and discuss in a space where everyone is welcomed, no judgment, not uh, any one of us has the right to say this is wrong or right, but everyone is welcome to express who they are, their opinions, their thoughts, and most of all, to raise questions that they are curious about without being scared of looking silly or too sophisticated or philosophical or whatsoever. And I tend to uh, prepare quotes from different religions and backgrounds about the topic so that we get to learn about what others have been saying about this question or about this topic. For example, what is beauty or what's love or how do religion and science correlate with each other? And just to get different sides of the story. And then we read these quotes out loud. Whoever wants to read a quote, he could or she could. And if you just want to be... An observer, you could, if you want to listen, if you want to take part, everyone is welcome in whatever form they want to. And then we start a discussion, and I have some questions prepared in order to have it more organized. And also, I facilitate with other people from the group. So the ownership is not just for me, but it's also within everyone else that's there. And we were able really to create a community out of Food for Soul. We've had more than 27 topics discussed over the past three years. We've been celebrating feasts from different religions, the Baha'i faith, Islam, Christianity, New Year's Eve, social gatherings, movie nights and discussion afterward. So we're trying really to experience coexistence in a practical way, not just talking about the idea of coexistence and tolerance and diversity, but we try to live it in a practical way and try to learn more about each other not only about religion, but also where everyone is coming from, everyone's journey. So it was very uplifting and heartwarming to finally be able to hold that last week. I believe it. Yeah. I love it. You, I love the way you describe it, living coexistence in a practical way. Yeah. That's fantastic. What's your favorite meeting or your favorite gathering of Food for Soul? Oh my gosh, there's so many. <laughs> I told you we've had over like maybe 30 topics, but... One of them really stood out where we, uh, was in the very beginning, actually, Food for Soul. We discussed faith. And it was a very sensitive topic for some people. But we decided that we want to discuss it together. And we prepared each other for it in advance. So we said that this topic, we're going to be very honest and open. So if anyone feels uncomfortable listening to other people's journey or listening to different perspectives than the traditional ones that we're used to, you don't want to be there, that's totally fine. Whoever is going to be there, 
needs to be open to receive and also to share if they want to, of course. And it was one of those gatherings where we learned more about how we need to be mindful of the language that we're using to express our thoughts and journey. Because we had some incidents where people were sharing about where they are now in life when it comes to faith and religion. But they were using some terminologies that was triggering other people in the gathering, but they didn't mean to. But it was a bit of some sharp terminologies or sharp ideas that needed to be maybe mentioned in a more sensitive language and more just a bit of a lower tone towards religion or God or whatsoever. Can you give me an example? So, for example, someone was talking about their journey with, uh, with God and how they don't feel now the connection with God and how they feel that he does not exist. And those who believe in God, he was wondering, how do they believe in such thing that they cannot see or relate to or whatsoever? But the language that he was using was a bit harsh to others who felt kind of humiliated to an extent where they felt, because that guy was talking more about that those who believe don't really put their mind into practice. They don't really think. So it was kind of accusing those who are not uh, doing that or who believe in religion that they might be a bit shallow or superficial or just following the flow of the majority. And we discussed that later on. We discussed that some thoughts that were shared here today and ideas have no intention to hurt anyone or to insult or belittle anyone. But it's a lesson for us. How do we express these thoughts without, without being belittling any of us or how to be more mindful of the language that we're using. And I think this gathering was a huge step in foot for soul because it gave it more a sense of security and safety. People felt that I really shared who I am, where I am in my journey, and people were appreciative of that. No one told one of them, for example, how dare you say this or why are you not believing in God or why are you running away from religion or whatsoever. No, it was very much appreciated that we know where you're coming from. Maybe you were not there, but you could understand your worries and your questions. Yeah. What's the biggest thing that you've learned personally from Food for Soul? Uh, I think there are a couple of ones. Personally, although that I do believe in diversity and accepting different points of views, it's so different than saying that you accept this and try to live by this concept and being able to run such gathering without holding into your own experience or holding onto your own thoughts and beliefs and giving the floors to other people to express who they are and not trying unconsciously to correct someone or to direct the conversation somewhere. And also accepting real diversity because I always say that I accept diversity and I accept different point of views and thoughts and ideas. But I get surprised when I'm faced with ones that are totally out of my comfort zone. And sometimes I feel triggered or scared or, I don't know, responsible also for other people's feeling. And it's not my place really to do this. I have to let go more of this feeling of being responsible for someone or responsible to make the gathering going in a certain direction whatsoever. I really have to let diversity take over. And consultation also is one of the big lessons for Food for Soul. How do you get to consult with a group of people 
on the ground rules that we want to have as a group and how to share the ownership and know that this is not Greta's gathering. This is everyone's gathering. Everyone has to have a say because this is what we want to create together. And being able to do that isn't always easy, actually. Because you feel at some point, this is my baby. But then it's really not. It was, but now it's everyone's. And this is something that I appreciate, that I felt everyone feels this is their space. So they're keen, they're curious, they're upset sometimes because this happened or that happened, because they feel that this is their space. We want to keep it. We want to have it going on without any problems. So we need to consult and discuss things openly. It's beautiful. How do you walk that fine line between facilitating and what, like while not sort of making it your own thing or taking too much ownership? Like you said, it's not the Hedda's gathering, it's everyone's gathering. So yeah. like, how do you do that? Well, I think one of the very first steps that I decided to take is to, like in the beginning, I used to, the first two gatherings or three gatherings, it was the one selecting the topic. Because everyone was coming from a different place, different background. People didn't really yet know each other. This feeling of comfort was building up bit by bit. And I felt that maybe for the first two or three gatherings, I can set the foundation, select a topic or two that I know people are very curious about from the conversation that I had separately with them. And I think on the third or the fourth gathering, we started having the system of uh, voting for topics. Hmm. So I would ask everyone to share, what is it that you have on your mind? What questions do you want to answer or you want to explore? What's been keeping you up at night? What are the sum of the topics that you don't feel comfortable discussing with anyone, but you're really keen on voicing out your own ideas and thoughts? And something else is also the facilitating itself. I started asking people to co-facilitate with me. And bit by bit, I started maybe having some people taking over the entire process and I would only come in if they ask me for help or support, but they're doing it their way. It might be different from what I was doing, but the good thing is that since we have ground rules, we have a good foundation. For example, everyone who gets to facilitate knows that we are not presenting the ideas. We're facilitating the discussion. It's not our place to take the mic and tell people what's right, what's wrong. We need to make sure everyone gets a chance to express themselves. So we need to help others understand. We need to be mindful of our time if we're sharing our thoughts and ideas. We also need to be mindful of if someone is starting a bit maybe to be, become more aggressive or to get angry, how do we bring this tone down in a very kind way and not to ruin it for everyone? So this was kind of a learning process for me and for everyone. And I felt that it helped people to feel that, okay, this is their space. It's not just something that we attend at Gadas. We are part of this. We facilitate, we suggest the topics, we choose it together. That's such an, I love how, I love how you've managed to create this space because it's, I can imagine it takes a lot of effort to keep it safe and to keep it nice. But at the same time, you've also been able to relinquish the control and allow other people to take ownership of certain things. That's incredibly impressive. And I, yeah, I kind of wish, <laughs> I hope one day I can join a gathering. Me too. <laughs> love to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had to enforce these, um, 
ground rules? No, this is the good thing that we were building this together. For example, like the first gathering, some of the rules that, yes, were there. For example, this is a safe space. So everyone is welcome to share their opinions and, and thoughts. And if we say this out loud, it means that we cannot judge each other, which is so hard to do. Sometimes we feel that we want to, or sometimes when we comment on someone's comment, it is judging. So how do we kind of try just to throw our ideas on the table and not attach it to anyone? Like, I don't have to say what Brian said, what Rada said. I can just speak about the topic itself, the idea itself. So that it doesn't belong to anyone. So no one feels attacked or whatsoever. And I remember, for example, one time we had an incident. I think we're talking about science and religion, if I'm not mistaken. And a friend of mine came and she was new to the group. It's her first time attending something like this at all. And she's very assertive and very direct in what she wants to say in a way that might feel to some people that she doesn't listen to others. And the way she was voicing out her ideas was upsetting to a lot of the attendees. And when she left, a couple of the friends came to me and said, Reda, this is our space. We all have a say in this. We do not want her again to join us. And I was like, okay, I get it. Let's sit and talk about it. And me and another friend of mine, we tried to raise some questions saying that, why is it that we feel this way? What was it that really annoyed us from her attitude? And they were saying that she's very opinionated and she doesn't listen to anyone. And she doesn't get the point of foot for soul. And this is a, sp a space, safe space and we should be more comfortable and more like able to share without being scared of someone picking on something that I said and whatsoever. And then my friend and I asked a question saying, okay, we get it. But don't you think that doing that would be exactly doing what we criticize our society for? Because we're, we're unable to take part in other circles and gatherings because we feel we're not welcome because we are not like them. And weren't we as well like this somehow in different, on different spectrum? We're just, we didn't become all of a sudden able to consult and to talk and discuss in a very uh, civilized manner. We learned this together. We've been together for, I think, that time. We've been together for a year or more. And we're just trying to let them see that we were kind of like this as well. And if you really see this is a safe space, we need to allow every now and then new people to come in. And we cannot guarantee everyone's going to be exactly like everyone else. Some people are going to be different to deal with, to talk to. Some will be just on the same flow and on the same level. But we need to create what we are aiming for in our circus and society and not eliminate people. This was a very interesting learning. And I think everyone, when we mentioned these points and discussed them openly, they were like, uh-huh, okay. But maybe, <laughs> but maybe we can have some more rules. For example, because friends can invite friends to Food for Soul. Mm -hmm. It's open to friend to friend. And we said, okay, so if someone brings their friend, they have to discuss with them before coming here, explain what Food for Soul is and share with them the ground rules. And we also have a private Facebook page and they decided that, everyone decided that, okay, so maybe the newcomers can join our Facebook group, but after the third time of attending, that they know what is Food for Soul more. 
because we don't want to be just adding people. Our aim is not to grow exponentially and have hundreds and thousands of people on the food for sale group. It's again, how do we create a model that we feel we could be part of and we can also replicate in our own circles. So this was a very good example of how the ownership also started to take more shape and how we were able to see ourselves in situations where we're not really abiding by our own model <laughs> and doing what others are doing to us, but it was interesting. Yeah. So what was the outcome of that discussion? Was, was your friend allowed back in? She was, but she wasn't interested to come. But I think her coming on that day, this was the purpose for us to see ourselves. How do we react when we find someone who is so different and has a different way of discussion and sharing their opinions and very opinionated and very just going the other way without caring for what other people fear or see. I think that was very important to have. It sounds like it, it sparked, it sparked a conversation that needed to happen. I think. Exactly. Yeah. And when you say this is the purpose, does that mean this is the reason why you invited her to go or it's the purpose in more of a cosmic sense? And more of a cosmic sense, because I didn't think she would react this way. Honestly, I was a bit also surprised when wow. she was acting this way. I was like, I thought she'd be more accepting and more able at least to listen more in the first gathering that she attends because she doesn't know anyone. And usually when people come in a new space, they would want to like kind of sit back and just observe what's happening and learn how people are doing this. But she was very into the discussion, which is great. And again, I think that having someone like that is, was very important and she's most welcome to join whenever she feels like it. And again, we're not trying to, we should not be trying to cut people out of our lives because they are different in this part. What are the ground rules, if I may ask? So first of all is that everyone has the right to share and the facilitator needs to be mindful of each one's time. For example, if we're a big group, everyone has a minute, a minute and a half to share what they want to share. And if someone already shared an idea that I wanted to bring up, I don't have to say it again. Also being this kind of mindful and I don't have to just talk for the sake of why oh, I'm talking. It's the point of bringing the point of the discussion. Also that we respect diversity. We don't ask too many personal questions unless the person is comfortable. If someone is sharing their own story or experience, we cannot just all be asking how, where, when, why. If the person is open for that, that's okay. If not, we have to respect it. And whatever is shared in Food for Soul personal experiences should not be shared with other people as well. Because this is why it's a safe space. I couldn't, I can't just share everything with my own circles. I can share maybe the frame of work or like the general idea, but not personal experiences. And also the language that we always need to remind each other of the language that we're using and learn how to grow in this area. And also the idea of put for soul is not there to answer our questions. It's a space where we talk about our questions and topics that we want to discover together. And we're not here to get unified on one simple answer or we all agree on one opinion. If that happens, great. If not, this is the purpose. It's beautiful. I love also the tie-in with, with privacy, how sort of uh, the idea that you can, you're, you're safe to share anything you want as long as it's not judgmental. Mm -hmm. 
also because no one's going to record it or put it out or tell anyone else that you've shared this is like you can feel free to say whatever you want and it's it's it is truly a safe space in that sense yeah how did you start food for soul ah this is bringing so many good memories (laughs) so let me take you back to when i was like i think maybe 14 or something so being a baha'i i've always been taught since a young age that service is a big part of our identity as Baha'is service is something that we don't just do on our free time. We don't just participate in acts of service whenever we feel like it, but it should be kind of a lifestyle. It should be something that our life actually evolves around. And this changes the meaning of service. It's not just doing a certain act, but even the spirit of service while working, dealing with others, dealing with family, with friends, anything you're doing. And since a very young age, I started helping out with some groups of junior youth that are from the age of 10 to 15, where I would meet with them once a week. And we have a curriculum to study together about some other stories about our junior youth in different parts of the world, where they go through different challenges in their lives. Since this is a very critical age, you don't really want to uh, have someone tell them that's right, that's wrong, do this, don't do that. They want to learn more about what others have been doing and see different examples of challenges, and they will get the point out of it. So it was a program mainly of spiritual empowerment and intellectual empowerment for junior youth. And when I was doing that every week, since I was, I think, 15 or 16, it changed my perspective of who do I want to become? Because I really wish that I had this example or I had this kind of animator in my life when I was their age as well. Like I wish someone would just sit down with me and talk with me about these ideas and give me a space to express who I am and let me know that the changes I'm going through is something very natural. And the questions I have are most welcomed. And it's only natural for me in this age to become this curious about life. And I felt this is something I want to be. I want to be able to help other people evolve and grow because it also gives me another opportunity for me to grow in a different way. And my journey with service started from there. So working with the junior youth, the children classes as well, and also with a a space for devotional gathering, which is like food for soul. I used to hold my own gatherings when I was, I think, 17 or 18. But I would also invite people from different religions, backgrounds to come together, pray and discuss the quotes that we've been reading together and see how can we apply them in real life and how can we support each other in becoming better people. And it just gave me the sense of also, what do I want my house or home to look like or to feel like for other people? I want to create this house of love since I was very young, where people would just feel that they're welcome to come. It's a safe space. It's a space where they can be themselves. It's not just for Baha'is or for people who believe in religion. It's for everyone. And everyone can just come here for comfort and for love and for a good conversation. And it continued with me. Like Service has been part of who I am since a very young age. And I'm very grateful for this because it honestly changed and shaped who I am a lot, being able to put time, being a teenager for service, 
while studying, trying to succeed in my studies, and also having a full-time job, and seeing the coherence between all these three different areas of work of my life, it gave me a different understanding of purpose and who do I want to be when I, when I grow and who do I want to look up to and what do I want to spend my time doing. And when I moved to Jordan, I also had this space of devotional gathering at my own house. It's something I do wherever I go because I just feel this is only the normal thing to do, to open up your house for people to come together and do meaningful stuff together. And when I moved back to Egypt and had my own place, and me and my flatmates, we named our house the House of Love because we all agreed <laughs> on service and that we want our house to be an oasis of love and comfort for our friends and family. I decided that I want to start my own gathering again. And I literally invited everyone, my different circles, like work, school, old school friends, civil society, people I know from different places from uh, intellectual gatherings whatsoever. And the first time we had Food for Soul, maybe around 20, 25 people showed up. And it was so wow. beautiful because not everyone knew everyone, yet there was so much harmony. And I remember that on the first day, they were discussing what should we call this gathering. It had no name, it was just the devotional gathering. And then they were like, let's call it Gadda's Gathering. And I was like, no. Let's not, <laughs> it's not get this gathering. And then bit by bit, I think on the second day, second time we met, we decided on Food for Soul. We felt that this is something <clears throat> nurturing for the soul. And it makes sense to call it Food for the Soul or Food for Soul. It's a long I think story. It's fantastic. No, it's, I, th- I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly the perfect, the perfect name for it. Like you say, it's, it's nourishment for the soul. This is what helps us to to expand and to thrive and not, not just survive as human beings, but to thrive with a, a compassionate and loving group of people with whom we can connect. I think that's something that we're missing. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You've also been working with people in rural villages, right? On topics like sexual harassment. How did that start for you? If I may ask. I've had my own share of sexual harassment a lot when I was a young girl specifically in Some of them I didn't really understand when they were happening to me because I didn't know that such thing could happen or a man could touch me this way. And I would just freeze, not knowing what to do or who to talk to or who to tell. My parents were always very supportive, but I didn't know that these things could happen to me. Like in a public transportation, someone would grab me or walking down the street, I would be grabbed or catcalled or whatsoever. All this kind of stuff, it happens to every single woman almost in Egypt on different levels and different stages of their lives. My mom gets harassed. I get harassed. It's not only something that's related to an age group or a social class or standard. We all have experienced that. So for me to see that change is possible and in these kind of neighborhoods where challenges are economically, socially, and also sexual harassment problems are there, it kind of makes me more comfortable with the idea that this is possible to change. It needs a lot of time, a lot of effort, but change is possible. But it needs a lot of effort on different levels, governmental efforts, civil society efforts, private sector, again, working with their own employees on helping them, educating them, trying to 
bring change to their lives and not just be interested in the outcome of their working hours. Schools have a great deal to do with this as well. Media and how they present women and how they talk about harassment and how they underestimate the jokes about women and being uh, an attractive man or being cool if you do this to girls or if you can't call someone or you can just get whatever you want to if you look nice, like all this kind of stuff. It affects how men perceive women and how they perceive themselves as well. So maybe this is also one reason why this topic specifically is very personal to me. Thank you for sharing that. Welcome. Did you do any work around this topic at the UN? We were trying to do something different when it comes to uh, gender equality and opportunities. So for example, we would encourage our partners that they need to create more space and environments for female talents to join their sector, specifically technology, of course, or ICT to be more specific, how the working conditions need to be mindful of women and how they need to be mindful of creating a path of growth for women. And we partner up with, for example, UN Women and UNESCO to work together on these kinds of topics. And currently we're working on a project with one of the private sector entities on how can we create opportunities for female students to have the right mentorship in order to explore the sector of ICT before they graduate. And at the same time, how can the private sector create the needed uh, regulations and policies that would allow women to be part of their corporates for a long term? It's fantastic talking with you like this. I'm here. I really miss this conversation and I miss you asking questions and me thinking and trying to just reflect on what has been happening. And you are really good with asking different questions and connecting things <laughs> together. So thank you for this. Thank you, Rena. I'm grateful that we got this chance to talk. And for you listening, where's your safe space? Email me at brian at mindfolkpod.com or get in touch on Twitter and Instagram at mindfolkpod. Keep choosing love, dear one. <laughs>